0: Amen, amen. All right. Good morning, Redemption Church. Welcome to Redemption Church. That was was weird to say it that way. Um, My name is Vincent, Lead Pastor. It's really good to be with you guys. Uh, I I like to ask this just because I want to see kind of where we're at. And I asked, I think maybe last week, but um, just to see, did we grow at all from week to week? So, how many people failed miserably again at the remembering people's names thing? Good. All right. That's less than last week, so it's working. Okay. Good sanctification. couple announcements as we get started. Both of these are happening on the 27th. I want to highlight we have an event card that you can grab at the Connect desk or you'll find at different tables around uh, the room this morning uh, that has every single thing that we'll be doing in the month of September. So if you have any questions how to sign up, you can just grab that. But I want to highlight two things. First, Every single month on the last Sunday of the month, we do something called a Roots Lunch. Okay, this is an opportunity. If you're new to Redemption, if this is your first time, you've been for a little while, but you still have a lot of questions about who we are, what we do, why we started this church about two and a half, three years ago, uh, we want to invite you to this lunch. You'll come, you'll meet some of the leadership. You can ask a bunch of questions and learn what is our mission and how are we going about it here in the city. So if that's you, if you're new, um, you can just fill out Roots Lunch on your little info card that you have before you and drop that in the box on the way out and then we will contact you to invite you to that. It is a free lunch, so if anything, it's a free lunch, okay? And uh, and there is such a thing because we're going to give it to you, okay? And so come and eat and learn about us. The other thing also on the 27th is we'll be doing baptisms here uh, in our service, and this is one of our favorite things to do here. If you have not been baptized and you love Jesus, You need to get baptized, okay? I want to be very clear. This doesn't save you. Only faith in Jesus does that. But I'll tell you what. If you love Jesus, if you are his... We get baptized. That's just something as Christians we do as a response to the gospel and the good work that he's done. We uh, outwardly proclaim this inward reality of transformation. Okay, And so if you haven't been baptized, again, you can sign up the info card. Come talk to one of us if you have any questions. Um, but be prepared on the 27th for baptisms. Invite friends. It'll be a really good day. Sound good? Amen? Yes? Let's get some liveliness today. Because okay? I'm, I'm going to come down pretty hard on you. Okay? Uh, and, and so, um, and myself. And so, what we're going to need is some passion to overcome some of the harsh realities of what Jesus, I think, is confronting us today in His Word. So, turn to uh, Mark chapter twelve, verse thirteen. Hear me. If you don't have a Bible, we want you to follow along with us through the scriptures. So, just raise your hand. There'll be ushers that'll bring Bibles down the uh, down the way there. Please follow along with us if you don't have one. If you don't own one, you can take one now and then take it home with you. It's our free gift to you. Don't feel weird about this. People take them all the time. Grab one, turn to Mark chapter 12, verse 13. If you don't know where Mark is, it's right after Matthew in the second half of your Bible, right before Matthew. Luke okay so if you hit Luke you've gone too far you hit Mark you gotta go a little farther or hit Matthew you gotta go a little farther all right Mark 12 verse 13 now last week was Labor Day Pastor Jim Mullins was here in town and he preached for us about uh, about work why does work matter uh, let's make sure hey no you're good man come on American Eagle keep it up there you go i uh, sorry to call you out bro I just want to make sure you get a word and um And he talked about why does work matter? And this is something that I think is very important for us as a community, as Christians, to understand. Um, And so if you didn't get a chance to be here last week or listen to the podcast, please go online and do that. It was just a phenomenal message. But where I want to start us this morning was two weeks ago. Okay, two weeks ago, we saw Jesus once again being confronted by the religious elite saying, Hey, by what authority do you do the things you do? Right? And they might have specifically been talking about the fact that Jesus just ransacked the temple because he was frustrated with the fact that they had turned it into this marketplace. Right? that The temple was no longer this place for prayer and pointing to God. It was rather this place of commerce, this place where people were being exploited and there was all this idolatry and things like that. So Jesus comes in, he throws over tables, he drives people out, and he kind of reclaims and redeems the temple. They might be asking, hey, wh- wh- where do you get the authority to do that? They might be asking, hey, where do you get the authority to raise people from the dead? Where do you get the authority to heal the sick, right, to allow the blind to see, the, the mute to speak, the deaf to hear? Where do you get the authority to do that? Where do you get the authority to say that people's sins are forgiven? How, how can you say that? only God can say that? And Jesus, two weeks ago, points them to his baptism. Right, all the way back in the start of the book of Mark, he says, man, remember that moment where God opened up the heavens and said, this is my son Jesus with whom I'm well pleased. And then again in chapter 8, during the transfiguration, opens up the heavens and says, man, this is my son Jesus. Listen to him. So his authority, he said, my authority comes from God. Yet once again, we're going to see his authority questioned today. Okay. We're going to see people come again at his authority. And I want to say this, we are not good with submission as a people. Christians, non-Christians, our culture and general authority is something we struggle with. I began to think through this week. My parents are in town visiting, so I thought through, man, what, what are just some moments in my life where even to my parents I did not submit to their authority growing up? And I'll tell you what, it was a much longer list than I would have hoped to be, okay? That being said, I was an incredible kid, so you're welcome, Okay. <laughs> And I began to run through this list, and here's the thing that came to mind that kind of rose up as the story I wanted to share with you this morning. And, and I bring it up because it's, it's somewhat silly. You see, it's one of those things where it wasn't like this, this blatant wrong thing I was doing. It was this, man, my parents knew what was best for me, and they said, man, you should do this, or you should keep from this, because this will make your life better. And yet I thought I knew Better than they did. I tried to put my own authority, live in my own authority, and it it didn't work out too well. So here's the story. So I was about eight or nine years old. I can't really remember, but every summer I would go and visit my family out on the East Coast, New Jersey, New York, that area. One summer I spent most of my time with my Uncle Hien. Now, if you're wondering where Hien comes from, we're Vietnamese, okay? So Uncle Hien has me into his home. He's the youngest of my mom's siblings, so he's irresponsible at best, okay? And so he has this poor eight-year-old, nine-year-old in who loves food. And literally every day, we'd wake up in the morning. It was bagels, eggs, bacon, sausage, Jimmy Dean, didn't matter. Lots of food, right? Then we get to lunch, and it was pizza, breadsticks, tacos, burritos, whatever. We get to dinner, and it was White Castle, right? And if you don't know White Castle, you can pick them up at your local freezer section um, and just enjoy life, okay? Okay. Um, they're mini cheeseburgers. Like, they're like this small. So you can eat 40 and not feel guilty, okay? And so all I did for like a month straight, maybe two months straight, was eat with my uncle, okay? Occasionally we went and played miniature golf, but mostly eating, okay? And watch The Simpsons, okay? And so I come home from this flight, and I get off the plane, and my mom and dad are there waiting for me. And I come off the flight, and I had gone from, you know, I had gained about 20 pounds. Now, 20 pounds for anyone is a lot of weight. 20 pounds for an 8-year-old is insane, okay? Right? What baby thought that was funny? (laughs) Like, I've gained 20 pounds in my life. And so I go from, like, 70 to 90 in the span of a month. Like, it was just chaos. And so I come home. I get off. Like, the, the stewardess is rolling me off the plane, you know. And I'm, my mom, like, falls on the ground, you know what I mean? She's only 4'11", so it wasn't a big fall. But, I mean, she gets, she falls to the ground. And just, what happened to my son, right? So here's, here's where the authority part comes in. She, she looks at me and says, this, this is not right, the brokenness and sin of this world. And, and she says, you know, there's going to be some new rules. There's going to be some new rules at the house. And so all of a sudden, my late night stash of food began to get put on higher levels that I could not reach, right? Um, food started to get hidden because I would sneak out in the middle of the night and find food to eat, okay? Right? I mean, this, I mean I, I, this is my fat kid story, right? And so I would sneak out, find food to eat, and subvert their authority in the midst of, no. They're saying, listen, we, it's better for you to not continue to gain weight at this rate. You should not be this large for your age, and so they began to set in these rules. Okay, don't do this. Don't do this. Watch out for this. Maybe you should start running. Maybe da-da-da. And it was all in love. I don't want you to think they were bullies or anything like that. But every night, I would, I would get up, and I would sneak around the house. Not every night, just frequently. And I'd start looking in drawers, right? I'd, 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 I'd get a ladder or chairs so I can build my way up to the top level of our, our pantry, right, to get the hidden goodies, Okay? My favorite thing was to take a piece of bread, put cheese in it, a layer of mayonnaise, fold it in half, and put it in the microwave for 10 seconds. Okay? Yeah, it's as good as you're thinking. Okay. <laughs> now, all of this somewhat silly. Here's the reality. My mom and my parents are in town this month, so I'm th- constantly seeing them reminds me of all these crazy stories of a kid growing up. Your parents, my parents, always want the best for me they want the best for their children so they instill certain values certain things of authority to say man live your life like this this is what's going to be best and I constantly began to think through this story and how much my parents were just saying like just let us be your parents right like stop stop trying to be the parent here like let us be the parents let us have the authority let believe that we know better than you Let us be the parents. And this text today is to say, listen, Christians, let Jesus be your God. Stop trying to be God yourself. Jesus pleading with us as a church this morning, pleading with my own heart this week, Vince, just let me be God. Let me be the Lord of your life. Let me be your Savior. Stop trying to earn it yourself. Let me be the Lord. Stop trying to orchestrate and do everything under your own power. Listen, if you're here and, and you're a Christian, actually, if you're not a Christian as well, let Jesus today be your authority and give everything over. That's my hope. I hope we get to the end and there's this, there's this crazy revival where all of us in our hearts are like, gosh, I'm holding on to this and I'm holding on to this and I'm holding on to this. And I need to start believing that if I love him, that I'll believe him, that he is powerful and good and I should submit to his authority. Jesus to us as a church, let me be. Jesus let me be God that's the call for us today that's where I want to go okay so um before we jump into the text one last thing as we look at this story I often notice that we'll often think ourselves Jesus we do this throughout the Bible where we try and identify ourselves. We read the story and say, well, I'm the Jesus figure, right? Because we're Christians. We want to be that. I'm the Jesus figure. And I think all that does is pull us from being able to realize that we're to submit to him. Because if you're equal to him, if you are him, you can't submit to him. And so this story today, we're constantly going to think, you know what? Yeah, I'm Jesus. That's what I would do. That's not true. We do this all the time in movies, right? If you've ever seen Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, you think you're Charlie, you're Veruca Sol or an Oompa Loompa, right? At best, okay? Okay? You, you, think, you think you're Han Solo. I think I'm Han Solo when I watch Star Wars. I'm Jabba the Hut, right? Maybe, okay? If for you younger folk, right? You think you're Harry or Hermione. You're Voldemort, okay? Like, you're broken. When we read this story... You're not Jesus. And if you read this story and think you're Jesus, you think you're the hero of your own life. You think you're in control. You think you're the authority. You'll never submit to him. Because you are him. You've made yourself him. So why submit to Jesus if you're already as powerful as he is? No, when we look at this story, we're one of the three other characters. We're either the Pharisees, we're Caesar, or, or we're the Jewish people. See, the Pharisees are coming in, what they're trying to do, and they've done this the entire Gospel of Mark, is they're trying to get rid of Jesus so that they could be the authority. Where they're trying to push Jesus to the side, saying, you know, I don't want anything to do with you, Jesus, let's get you out of here so we can still be the authority over our lives. We do this all the time. Sometimes we're like Caesar, or we say, you know what, no, no, we minimize Jesus, we make ourselves gods, we say we have greater authority than Jesus does over our lives, and so we do that so that we could have authority over our lives. And sometimes we're the Jewish people who said, man, they're not, they use Jesus. They use Jesus to gain authority. And we see this constantly as they're trying to get Jesus to overthrow the Roman, uh, the Roman Empire, take over and allow the Jews to reign with. They're looking to use Jesus. So we do these three things all the time. We'll look at it a little more. But I want us to identify with the fact we're not Jesus and we need him to be more like him. We need to submit. We need to be under his authority. So verse 13, let's get started. They sent him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinions. If you're not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Here's how we know right off the bat that this is not a good thing. Okay, That these guys coming in amidst all their their fluffy language here are not on Jesus' side. The first thing is that they're in partnership with the Herodians. Now, this was not a likely partnership. You see, the Jewish people, the Pharisees in particular, and the Herodians did not get along. There was much disagreement, okay? They, they were at odds in pretty much every issue. And so anytime they would come together, it was only because there was a greater enemy that they were fearful of. And so when you've got two people who don't like each other conspiring to get someone else, you know it's not good. Let me illustrate it this way. I hate, 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 and it's the start of the football season, I hate the San Francisco 49ers, okay? Yeah, yeah, you can go. Just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Please stay. There's, there's forgiveness. Um, I hate them. Okay, I grew up New Orleans Saints fan, And every year, they just destroyed us. Both games, Joe Montana, Steve Young, Jeff Garcia, Satan. I mean, it's just, (laughs) I hate them, okay? But more recently, another team has arisen as the bane of all things evil, okay? And that's the Seattle Seahawks, okay? Okay. They keep beating us over and over and over. And so every time that the 49ers play the Seahawks, guess who I'm rooting for? Go 49ers, right? Yeah, see, so we're actually, we can be friends. You see, when when we unite with an enemy to destroy another enemy, we really hate that enemy, okay? Anytime the Pharisees and the Herodians got together, it was bad news. This is, listen, we are in the final week here. Okay? This is like Tuesday, Wednesday. Jesus is literally two to three days away from the cross. And these two are conspiring, and guess what? It's going to work. It's going to work. So this isn't a hopeful story unless we go all the way to the end, and then there's where the hope comes in. But we know that this is going to end poorly. This is going to work. This traps that they're setting eventually will catch up with Jesus, and he will be crucified three days from now never a good idea when these two together. The other one is, I mean, the Bible even tells us that they are setting a trap here. The word is agruo in the Greek, agruo. It literally means to hunt, okay? If your friend is trying to hunt you, he is no friend, okay? They are not for Jesus, despite all the language, and the last one we know this is no good situation is flattery they come in and they begin to pronounce all of these beautiful, Jesus, we know that you are true. You're not swayed by appearance. You're not swayed by other people. You're the true teacher. And they just puff him up and puff him up and puff him up and you see this all the time. I'll tell you what, the way V knows how to get to me, if she ever has something that she wants, she, she kind of goes like this and puts her head kind of low and her hair's glowing, right? <laughs> she looks up with her beautiful green eyes and then she says, you're really funny, and part of me says, yeah, you're right, the other part of me's like, get behind me, Satan, okay, because I know what's up, and usually it's, it's a back rub, or, you know, or a foot rub, or some form of rub, like, that's kind of our thing, right, that's how I know, flattery, right, Flatter. and you listen, we go through Proverbs You go through the Bible. Flattery is just never a good thing. You start hearing someone puff you up, especially when you know they're already against you, run, okay? It's never good, okay? And that's what we see with these guys. This is already setting the stage for a bad situation. Now on to the big question of the day. They asked Jesus, is it lawful? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not, right? So seems like a decent, honest enough question. Jesus, listen. Should we have to pay taxes to Caesar or should we not have to pay taxes to Caesar? Doesn't seem that difficult of a question. But again, we know that they're scheming here. Because if Jesus is to say yes, if Jesus responds, yes, you should pay taxes to Caesar, and he just leaves it there, he begins to alienate all of the rest of the Jewish people. You see, because they hated this tax, they hated this poll tax. Because they saw it as a sign of oppression from the Roman Empire. And they said, listen, okay, if, if you're going to say yes, and we're supposed to submit to that guy, that guy is oppressing your people, Jesus. I'm not going to follow you. So the Pharisees said, okay, if he says yes, then all his people and followers will leave, and we'll, we'll get rid of this Jesus problem we have. But if he says no, if he says no, then guess what? Caesar is going to get him. The government's going to get him. Because it is law. You have to pay the tax. And so if Jesus comes in and says, no, don't pay the tax, then he is an insurrectionist, a revolutionary. And they can throw him in prison or, worse, kill him. And so they think they got him. They think that they got him. They think, finally, after all the questions, you know what? Uh, yeah, we're going to get Jesus this time. This is when the brilliance, and hear me, the brilliance and the wisdom of Christ just shines through. And I love it. Verse 15 says, but knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why well, put me to the test? bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar. So Jesus knows it's a test. He sees through to their heart. He knows that they're, they're being hypocritical here. Asking a question, he says, oh, here's, here's the brilliance of Christ. Bring me the denarius, right? Notice he doesn't have one. Can we get that picture? Let me step out of the way here. Okay, so here's the denarius as it would have been used. First thing to notice and most important Caesar's nose on the left is just jacked up, okay? Um, and his ear is enormous, okay? So that's, that's, that's application point one, okay? Tiberius Caesar, okay? He's the Caesar from 14 AD to 37 AD, pretty much almost the entire time, of Jesus' formative years as an adult. He's on the left there. You see that bust? And let me read it in the Latin. There's this inscription. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, Tiberius Caesar Divi Augusti Filius Augustus translated Tiberius Caesar Augustus son of the divine Augustus okay. so, so already see there's, there's something happening here let's look at the other side really quick though this is, this is Tiberius' mother Livia and she has this inscription Pontifex Maximus or high priest now Here's why this is such a big deal. Here's why Jesus said, hey, bring me this coin. You see, this coin was a tremendous symbol of idolatry. It was a graven image to the Jewish people. See, they saw this thing and said, look at that. This is Caesar claiming to be God, claiming to be deity, claiming to be bigger than Yahweh, claiming to be better and bigger and stronger and the one with whom we should all submit, the ultimate authority. This is idolatry, and guess who has the coin? The Pharisees. They said, listen up, I see the hypocrisy. You know why? Because right in your pocket, you carry an idol, a graven image, and you're trying to put this on me. You're trying to divide us. You've divided us because you've submitted to an authority that is not God. He calls them out in their own hypocrisy, in their own idolatry, and catches them in it, and it gets even better. The brilliance continues. Verse 17, Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the thing that are Caesar's. And to God the things that are God, God's. And Jesus dropped the mic and he walked away. <laughs> and they marveled at him. Okay. Everything but the mic part is actually in there. Okay, This is a brilliant line. You see what he does is he subverts the question here. He comes in and he finds a way to answer this thing where everyone is pleased. He says, listen... Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. But but give to God what belongs to God. Whose image is on this coin? Caesar. Then give it to Caesar. He pleases everybody. The Jews can now know wow, okay, so we can still fully, as ultimate authority, submit to God, but then we also don't have to be arrested and persecuted because the Roman government would throw us in there if we stopped paying the tax. We can do both. We, we can live as graceful citizens in this community. We can, we can live like that within the oppressive Roman regime and still have God, Yahweh, as our ultimate authority over life. This applies to us. You see, God is the ultimate authority in your life. But he has appointed authority as well in this world. See, there is appointed authority in this world. Romans 13 tells us that this authority, this government, this politic, this has been set up that it would bear the sword, that it would be what dispenses God's justice amongst the nation, that it would help sustain and be the graceful agent to the world through governance, through authority that God himself has appointed. And so for us today, in the same way that the Jews had to submit. How the Pharisees had to submit to the Roman Empire. We too, we submit to the authorities that are over us, unless they come into conflict with God's ultimate authority. Unless it's sin, okay? Then we we listen. Listen to me. We are to be the best citizens in whatever country we are at. Christians, you are to be the best. Citizens of our nation. If you live here, you're to be the best citizen of the United States of America. Okay, that, that, and let me quantify that a little bit. Let me qualify that rather a little bit. That does not mean that you have to always wear a US flag t shirt, right? That doesn't mean that you need to support one party or another party. That doesn't mean that you have to this or have to that. It means that you need to live a Christian life in submission to the authorities that God has placed over you. This is a good thing. Let me get into some specifics. How many people, and let's just do this, how many people by a show of hands don't feel embarrassed, think speeding is a sin? Yeah. Okay. So there's three righteous people, (laughs) and a whole bunch of sinners. Okay. Let's sit down and talk about why you think that. Is there a speed limit? Yeah. Is going over it against the law? Will you get a ticket? Will you be, will you be given like a a civil, right? No, not criminal, unless you're going really fast, right? Civil ticket? Yes. Are we not to submit to the authorities over us? Yes, we are. Tell me, how is speeding not sin? Now, is is speeding in and of itself sin? Like, does God have this law? Is it somewhere in the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt not speed, right? (laughs) No. But is it against the law of the land with whom God has appointed authority that we would follow, allowing for the flourishing of our nation and community? Yes. Okay, let's go. Texting while you drive, is that sin? yes okay so more yeses on that than speeding that's okay All right they're, e- they're equally dangerous guys it doesn't matter our government says hey don't text actually in Flagstaff now you're not even supposed to talk on your phone without a hands free bluetooth set okay I do because I'm righteous okay <laughs> no I do because it's safer because people said hey we want to care for our community people are getting hurt because people are too busy with this thing and so hey Let's make a law that says they can't do that so we can see the better flourishing of our community. And so then we as Christians should say, great idea, because it's not sin. Jesus doesn't address it. Let's submit to the authorities that are placed over us. Texting. Probably a sin. Okay. Last one I'll give to you, especially for you college students. I know we got a lot of you guys here. Underage drinking is a sin. Okay. Underage drinking is a sin. Now, is drinking in and of itself a sin? No. Is drinking at 20 in and of itself a sin? No. Is it a sin because our government has said you shouldn't do it? Because there's laws against it. In other words, if you were at a house and you were underage drinking with a bunch of friends and cops came in, could they not arrest you? Yes, they could. It's against the law. Submit to the authorities that are above you, it is a sin. Now, we're going to think through all these things, and we want to rationalize and rationalize and rationalize. It's not that big a deal. I want to do this. I want to do this. Listen, every time you rationalize something like that, I'm telling you, you're making yourself the authority. You're not submitting to his. Every time I, listen, I do the same thing. I'm not trying to say this is you. This is us. So the question again, who's our authority? Are we our own authority? Are we a Pharisee who's saying, you know what, God, move to the side. I don't want you right now. Let me do my own thing. Oh, we being Caesar says, no, I know better than you, Jesus. I'm smarter than you. I'm be- I get this situation more than you get this situation. You're alive 2,000 years ago. You don't know what I live with today. No, he's alive. He's living. He's active. He's breathing. He's in your life. He's in the world. He knows it, and he's bigger than you. Or are you using Jesus? Are you taking what he says and manipulating it for your own gain? Because you want the authority over your life. I'll say this, if you're here and you're not a Christian, okay, he wants it, okay, but you haven't stepped into that, you haven't said, hey, you're my Lord, you're my Savior, I'm gonna... but if you're here and you're a Christian, you've signed up, I signed up to say, when I said, Jesus, I want you, I want you as Savior and Lord, meaning you run the show, you're the author of my life, you're the authority, you tell me what to do, and I follow, this is a terrifying thing because to let go of control of our lives is a terrifying thing unless the hands with which the control falls to are the best possible hands they could ever be in. Okay. There's, some, there's a cheesy song called Jesus Take the Wheel. Dude, it's theologically accurate take this thing drive this car tell me how do I live my life underneath your authority what are you calling me to and it's listen it's not just the things you're not supposed to do it's the things you should be doing if Jesus is the full Lord and authority of our life, there are things that we are called to as a church, the way we're to love one another, the way we're to forgive one another, the way we're to give to one another, the way that we're supposed to shape one another, the way we're supposed to pray for one another, the way we're supposed to open up the Bible together. These are expectations of the citizens of the kingdom of God. And when we say, I don't need that, we're saying, God, I don't want you as the authority over my life because I've got this. And this is a hard thing for us. But there is, listen, there's just no way around it. And I've looked. I've tried to find, and if you could ask my mom, I can kind of weasel my way out of anything. Not this. Not this. He is to be the Lord of everything. The authority in everything in your life. Okay. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Um, the image of Caesar was found on that coin, okay? The image of Caesar was found on that coin. The final thing I really want us to kind of jump into before our application is to ask ourselves one question. Jesus is saying, okay, the image of Caesar is on that coin, so give the coin to Caesar. So ask us one more question. That question is very simply, whose image is on you? Like, whose image is on man? Whose image is on woman? And, and, and listen, you, you, if you don't know, Genesis tells us that in the beginning, God created all these things, and he gets to creating humanity. And it is the only thing in the entire scripture that he creates in his image. You see, the image of Caesar is on the coin, so give it to Caesar. The image of God is on you, and it's on me. Give yourself to God. See, this is, this is what he's saying to him. He's like, you guys think you got me, but here's the deal. My image is on you. Give your life back. Stop trying to be the authority. And here's the good news. Here's the gospel. Is this isn't just something that Jesus is telling you and telling me to do. That he hasn't done himself. Colossians 1.15 tells us that Jesus Christ... Is the image of the invisible God, the exact imprint of his nature. He is the image of God. And so what has Jesus done for us? What will he do in three days? He will literally give his whole life over. He will give up everything and lay it down that we would be raised up in faith. This is not something that Jesus is saying, hey, just do this because I want you to. He's saying, no, no, I'm about to show you what this looks like, and I am the image of God. And I'm going to give everything back to him. I will submit my life. I'll submit my will. I'll submit my desires. He sits in the garden of Gethsemane, and I can't wait till we get there pleading with God, let this cup pass from me. May I not have to go to the cross? And God says, no. You've got to go. I'm asking for your life, for the lives of the world, for the redemption of the world. Will you go, Jesus, fully? Not my will, but your will be done. The image of the invisible God fully, in every possible way, images for us, exemplifies for us how it is to give your life over in everything. And because he did that, because Jesus did that, we can now do that. Because he did that, because the blood of Christ covers my sin and covers your sin, because his resurrection gives us new life, we can now, we actually have a life to lay down. The Bible tells you that you were dead in your transgressions before Christ. You did not have a life to give up. But Jesus, in his power, in his resurrection, raised you from the dead. He gave you new life, reborn, that now you can lay it back down and worship to him and say, I'm yours right (laughs) scaring babies (laughs) but that's the reality and I have to wrestle with this like okay man Jesus do I really believe what the Bible says do I really believe that the full image of God laid his life down if I believe it and now I know I'm called to it what other direction can I go okay um Here's what I want us to ask ourselves today is what, what are we holding back from handing over to the authority of God? And I'll tell you what, he, he's being very patient with us in the handing over process because the reality is is he can take it in any moment, right? With all the freedom that we think we operate in, I'm, listen, if God wants to, he will take anything, okay? He's that powerful. But it's patience, it's love, it's forbearance, it's grace, He's saying, give it over. So what, what are you holding back? What area of your life are you pushing Jesus to the side? You're saying, I'm going to get rid of you. I don't need you. I'll do my own thing. And what areas of your life you say, no, I'm the authority. I'm Caesar. I'm the king. I'm God. And listen, this has been a problem since Genesis 1, so you're not, this is not new to the process. They, they wanted to be God too. So do you. I get it. And what ways are you doing that with things in your life? And what ways are you using Jesus, manipulating the situation, making people think you're something when... Behind, behind closed doors like the Pharisees being hypocritical okay what ways are we doing that thing I want to call us to one more thing as an application when it comes to authority and, and I don't know how many, how many times I've preached but there's one topic that when we preach on there's pushback like I, I, I tell you I can get into like Really heavy stuff I could yell at all of you And call you wretched disgusting sinners Every day And you're like yeah I know But the second I start talking about money People start feeling kind of funny People feel a little shifty There's something about the idol of money In our culture That I think they were experiencing In this text too And I think we experience In an intense amount today Where for some reason, there's this, don't tell me what to do with my finances. You can tell me I'm a sinner. You can tell me I'm broken. You tell me I need to repent. Tell me I need to follow Jesus. Tell me to stop sleeping with my girlfriend, boyfriend. Tell me I need to stop looking at this, looking at that. Tell me I need to stop speeding even. That's okay, but don't you dare tell me that I'm supposed to be generous and give to the church and give to people around me. Don't don't tell me what I'm supposed to do with my money. And I wonder, how has that become such an incredible idol for them and for us as a church? And I don't mean our church. I mean the church. Christians, we are to be the most generous people in the world. Without without doubt, it should be awkward. People should look to the church and say, how are they living? Like, they, they keep just pouring it out and pouring it out and giving it away. There's no one in the entire city of Flagstaff with need because the church, which only makes up like 7% of the city, cares for everyone. That's what we're supposed to do. Does this mean you need to run around and you need to live on the streets so that you have nothing and other people? No, that's not what this means. This means that you need to live convicted that the Bible has called you to be a generous person. What we're going to start today, and I think it's just going to really get right at us and put it on the front doorstep with the authority of Jesus. Can he speak into everything? We're going to go right after what I think is probably the most predominant idol in our culture. And so today we're going to do what, I'm gonna, what we've called a 90-day giving challenge, not the most clever title, okay? 90-day giving challenge, and here's what we're going to do. For 90 days and i'm going to ask everyone to participate if you're part of this church participate if you're not part of this church i want to invite you to participate but give somewhere else okay whatever the, i want you to, i want to invite you and so what this means is for the next 90 days and we're not this is not a percentage thing this isn't even give all your money here This is, I want us to become people who let God teach us and speak to us about how we spend our resources, how we spend our time, how we spend our talent, how we spend our treasure. How do we give these things over for the glory of God? How do we let this thing that is so closely tied to our own power and our need to hold on to it that we'll let go and let God do some work? And so for the next 90 days, I want you to covenant to be generous. I want you covenant to give at a certain percentage here. And let, let me say this, it is very weird for me, who is the, one of the recipients of your offering, to say, hey, I want you to be more generous to the church. But I wouldn't ask if I didn't think the Bible brought it up over and over and over and over again. The number one thing that Jesus talks about in the Gospels is money, because he knows the idolatry of man. And so I want us to hand this over in an effort and a hope that we would look more like Christ, we'd be his disciples, we'd submit to his authority. And so here's what I'd like you to do if you want to be part of that. The little info cards that are there, you am going to pull them out right now. But during our response time, pull it out, write your name, write your email, and just write 90 day, right? And I'll know, and we'll contact you. There's going to be resources. There's going to be stories. I'm doing it with you. All of our staff, I think, are doing it with you. If, if they're not yet, I'm going to make them. And then, uh, but we are going to do this together because we want to see God move. Let me read a text to you. I'm sorry I'm running a bit long, but Malachi 3, 8 through 10 says this. Will man rob God? yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? And he says, in your tithes and contributions. You're cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test as the Lord of hosts if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. Jesus saying, I mean, God saying to the world, listen, just trust me. I'm the authority. I'm the sovereign God. Give to me. And I'll take care of every necessity in your life. This does not mean you will go by a plane at the end of the 90 days. This doesn't mean that you have more spending money at the end of the 90 days. It means, and I believe this, you will have every need fulfilled in your life and I, you will be, you will know the love and the grace of God, the provision of God more than you ever have. Put God to the test in this. Is he truly the authority over your life? This will culminate on December 13th. And every year during Christmas, we do an Advent offering, okay, where our entire church, we come together, we raise money, and we give it all away. We've given $15,000 away in the last couple years from this Advent to local organizations that need money and need help and need resource. We give to global organizations that need the same church planning, orphanages, things overseas, this will all culminate. The 90 days finishes on December 13th, which will be the day that we take up that Advent offering. And I want us to be in such a position in our hearts and in the authority of God that we would just say, you know what, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give, and listen, again, not a dime of that stays here. This is not about us. This is about Jesus. This is about his glory. And so we're gonna do that. And so again, if you'd covenant, if you would agree to do that, fill out that info card, and we'll do this as a church and see God move over the next 90 days. So let me pray, let's just ask God to move and the Holy Spirit to be the authority in our lives. Jesus, i tell you what, I I do not like and I haven't liked since the day I decided to follow you that God, that you speak into everything in my life. God, that in in many times and seasons you've reshaped my desires, my thoughts. God, you've given me new ones. You've told me to replace old ones. God, you've called me to greater levels of commitment and generosity, of submission. God, of love to neighbor and all these things. God, and I repent of the fact that I've failed day in and day out. God, we just thank you for the cross this morning that regardless of whether or not we sign up for a challenge, regardless if we don't, regardless, God, if we just fumble about the next 60, 80 years of our life, regardless of the length of time, if we we just every day tripped and fell on our face, we thank you that the gospel, that your, your atonement, your love on the cross, God, sets us free. God, will we live out of and a desire to see and know more of you, to see your provision, to see you just show up and be the sovereign, good authority of this world. God, I pray for us as a congregation that we would well up in generosity, that it wouldn't be something that, gosh, that there's this, it has to be, I I just pray that as people go out today that the Holy Spirit would convict us just to look around our city and see how we can match whatever resource we have. Whatever we, and, and, and I know a lot of us here, we don't, we don't have a lot of money, a lot of us. And so God, we pray that you would give us what is necessary to bless the world. God, humble us. God, may we see you clearly. May we not push you to the side. May we not exalt ourselves over you. And God, may we not use you for our gain. But God, wholly submit in authority to you now. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, as always, um, we take a couple minutes to sit and reflect on God's word. There'll be a couple questions up there um, that you guys can reflect on and think over, pray over, uh, decide if you're going to join us in this commitment to, to just trust God in everything. So let's do that now.